Well, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to speak to you this morning. Thank you, Alex and Victoria. What a wonderful song this morning as we're reminded of peace today. You know, and as you grab your Bibles, if you'll want to open them to Ephesians chapter number 2, I want to remind you, tis the season. Amen? Tis the season of peace. That's what the angels proclaimed. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. That's what, God, uh, what's what Jesus Christ brought into the earth when He came. And as we consider that, um, it's kind of ironic that it is during the Christmas season where we often see the most fights erupt. It is often uh, during this time when people are looking at Black Friday or shopping or uh, you got that and I wanted that and, and that's when we see the most contention. Or that's when uh, families get together, and, and I don't know about y'all, but our family was a little bit redneck, and if you're not familiar with that, spend a little time in Texas and you'll understand what a redneck is. And, uh, and you know, you kind of get uh, the picture there of that Christmas or Thanksgiving or the holidays can sometimes not be completely full of peace. A matter of fact, we struggle with peace in our world. You know, in the recorded history, uh, in the years of recorded history, uh, there's about 3,400, not including the Word of God. And, and about in, in the 3,400 years of recorded history, in 3,132 of those years, there has been some sort of recorded conflict on this planet. Peace is an enigma for the people, for us. Uh, we struggle with peace. We struggle with peace sometimes in our own home, don't we? Uh, how many, well, don't raise your hand, but how many times have you driven to church and in church there's an argument in the car? I tell you, peace is sometimes difficult. Even in our political environment, Charles Kessler said this, In the Claremont Review of Books, we have described our current political scene as a cold civil war. A cold civil war is better than a hot civil war, but it is not a good situation for a country to be in. And I would agree with that statement. We don't know what peace is hardly anymore. And I think there's a reason for that, but as we go today, as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, I think God uh, reminds us of the priority of peace in our life in Ephesians chapter 2. And so as we enter the season of Christmas, my hope and desire is that we won't just sing about peace, we won't just sing about joy, we won't just think about it, but it will be applied in our life. Do you remember the 1960s? Many cried out for peace, love, peace, and chicken grease, and all that good stuff. And we, I don't remember the 1960s, but I read about it in the history books. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but, you know, we, have, we sought peace prior to the 60s as well. And even matter of fact, the Bible speaks about peace. And the word for peace that is used in our text today is the, is the word arene. And it's used 92 times in the Bible. And 89 of those times it's translated peace. But listen to some of these other occurrences. It's translated as one or oneness. It's translated as rest. It's translated as quietness. Well, we desire that, don't we? Matter of fact, um, in Willard Harvey Jr.'s book, his book is His Needs, Her Needs. He stated there were ten different needs, five needs that are priority traditionally for the lady and five needs traditionally that are uh, the most important needs for the man. And on the top of that list is what he calls domestic support. You could also say peace in the home. We desire that, don't we? We desire peace, you know, especially in the places of sanctuary. We, we want peace in the house of God today. We want peace in our hearts uh, man, you, you've been through times, you've been through situations where there was no peace in your heart. 
And boy, when that peace is not there, then it brings anguish in the spirit and the soul, and, and you grieve, literally, don't you? And today, as we look at Jesus Christ, we see that He is the one that leads us to peace. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, we're reminded that He is the Prince of what? Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And so as we think about Jesus Christ, He is the peace that we ought to seek today. In Christianity, we desire peace. Matter of fact, uh, Strong says this, The tranquil state of a soul assured of, uh, of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Think about that for a minute. That's peace. Assured of my salvation because of what Jesus has done, and then assured that no matter what may come, that God's in control. That's peace today. That's what we need today. And if each of us were to be honest, we were to say, Lord, I want peace in my life. But guess what? Peace may be an enigma for the world, but it's not for God's people. God's Word shows, with us, shows us and shares with us how we can have peace, how we can have joy in our life in the midst of circumstances and despite circumstances that seem to want to say something different. And so as we look to, here together, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 14. We're going to jump into the middle of this and then we're going to give you some context around it. But I want you to see our key text today, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 14. If you will please stand with me as we read the text today. Gives us an opportunity to stretch our legs and an opportunity uh, just as we uh, gather together here to read. For He is our, what's it say, church? Peace. Peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace." And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace unto you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. Let's stop and pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for you. Thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. Lord, as the text says today, He is our peace. We look to Him today. We look to Him in our life. Lord, perhaps there's some that are struggling to find peace this morning. Maybe this, this, uh, this peace is not present in their heart and their life. And we pray that more than anything else, that You would allow them to put their faith and their trust in Christ as their Savior, that they might experience true peace today. Father, we just want to ask You that uh, Your presence would be with us that you would supply the peace that we need. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated today. I want to share a couple of things with you this morning from the Word of God, from this text, uh, regarding peace. And the first one is we need peace through Christ. Uh, notice that there, peace doesn't come any other way. But when Christ is our peace, we see that, uh, that it, it, it comes and it will, bring, no it will be peaceful no matter the circumstance. Prior to Christ coming as a babe in a manger, God called out Abraham and He called out His family to be a people that He could use to bring salvation to mankind. God had a desire in the Old Testament to, 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 uh, to use Abr Abram and his family. And He said, I want you to come out from among them and be separate. He said in, in uh, Genesis, we see where He says, I want you to come out from among your family. I want you to go to a land where I will call thee to. And God gave the Jews at this point, uh, through, throughout, this, throughout the their, their history, we see where God gave to Abraham and to his descendants, He gave them the laws. We call them 
the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It wasn't right then, but it was later with Moses. And so God gave them uh, three types of laws. It was ceremonial law, and that's what, how they operated in the, uh, in the sanctuary, in the tabernacle. It gave them, they gave them the moral law. We would call this today the Ten Commandments. Don't keep, don't, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, etc. Um, and then He also gave them dietary laws. Uh, and you know, as Baptists, I'm always grateful that those are abolished in the New Testament. <laughs> all right. So, but as we look here, we see that God had a purpose in all of this. God didn't just give them rules to give them rules. Uh, matter of fact, I, I'm so excited for my brother-in-law who has a hunger uh, for the Word of God right now in his life. And he was asking me all kinds of questions I didn't have the answers to. Uh, and he was wanting to know why did they have this law and why did they have this law. And, and as we go down through it, he says, I realized something that God's laws have a purpose, and it was for the betterment of the people. I said, absolutely, Ricky. And, and, and I said, sometimes we miss that sometimes God gives us rules or God gives us laws or God gives us commandments for a purpose, and we, we forget that God is supreme, and God knows all things. And sometimes, though, we in our finite mind, finite mind can't understand it. When we look to God, He has the answer, and we just got to trust Him, even if we can't understand it. And so they had no image. The Israelites didn't have an image. Then there was no superscription, as the Bible says. Uh, they didn't know what God looked like. Uh, matter of fact, even Moses, uh, as he stood on Mount Sinai, he said, that I might see you. That I might, he asked the Lord that he might behold him. And God, the Bible says, as God passed by, he covered his face so he wouldn't see his face, but he just saw his, his backside. He just saw the back of him. He never even saw his face. We don't know what God looks like. You know, and that's, that's good, amen? Wouldn't you agree with that? Because uh, if we had an image of God, what do you think we would do? We would worship, worship the image instead of who the image represents. And so during all this time, there was no, uh, there was no image for them. And, and, but God set up uh, the tabernacle and gave them the laws regarding the tabernacle, how they should worship, how that they should sacrifice a sacrifice, and, and how they should, uh, to, should apply the blood on the horns of the altar. And, and, and God was very detailed. And if you go through the book of Exodus, Leviticus, uh, even Numbers, some, you'll find that, that God lays out for us uh, very strategically how people should worship in the Old Testament. And so uh, as we go through that, we call that the ceremonial law. And this is how God designed for them to find their way to the Lord and how God designed for them to find their way to Him. And, and so through all of that, this, uh, God also is, had a purpose of drawing the lost world to Him. God didn't want just for Abraham's family to be saved. God didn't want just the children of Israel to be saved, but He wanted all men to be saved everywhere. The problem was is they became very me-centered. They became very self-focused. They became very focused on the supremacy of Israel and not the supremacy of God. And as they, they went down through time, they forgot and lost their vision for the lost around them and became very much us for and no more mentality. And so God established them and God brought something that was brand new at a time that was absolutely essential. But even in the tabernacle, God established some, some areas of separation. There was the most sacred place was the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, you remember what was there. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And there on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And, and that's where God resided. There was no image there, but God's Spirit dwelled there. 
And then as you went through the Holy of Holies, you have the holy place where the priest would go and offer uh, different sacrifices. And then out, outside of that, you'd have another court uh, where they would offer uh, burnt offerings. And, and then outside of that, you would have an area where the Jews could worship. And, and then they had another separation where Gentiles would worship. Now, I would guess that most of us in, in here would probably be considered a Gentile. I know I would be. I don't think I have any Jewish ancestry in me at all. And so I would be on the very far edges, the very far perimeter, the furthest away from the holy place. No ability to come in. No way to enter into the presence of God on my own. And Ephesians chapter 2 is an incredible, incredible moment for us today. As we discover Ephesians 2 and as we look at it brand new, I want you to see that in the first 13 verses, God talks about the quickening of the flesh and He talks about the transformation that Jesus brings. But number 14, verse number 14, He says, He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. All of that, those things that were established, the Gentiles couldn't come in. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was even uh, taken into custody because he was accused of bringing a Gentile into the, the Jewish area, uh, the Jewish courts of that, temp, uh, that temple. And so now we find that Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is saying, listen, in, uh, what, because of what Christ has done, He has destroyed this middle wall of partition because Christ is our peace. You know, as a Gentile, I'd be on the very fringes, on the outside edges, not allowed to come into the very presence of God. But because of Jesus, because of what Christ has done, and we're going to get into that a little bit more, He indwells me here. He indwells me today. Hmm. All right, we're going to get into that in a second. Listen, God doesn't, didn't want there to be a, that, uh, a total separation where Gentiles could not, become, uh, could not come to the Lord. That was something man established because 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's no real peace apart from Jesus Christ today. If you do a Google search today, and I did this this week, just curious, I don't, I don't recommend it, but how to find peace. If you enter that into your search parameters on, in Google, if you, if you Google that, you will find on the front page tons of ideas and mentalities, some from Oprah, some from the Positivity blog, from, some from posi- uh, excuse me, Psychology Today, some from the Success Magazine or TinyBuddha.com, Operation Meditation, or even WikiHow. All of these places have answers on how you can find peace, but let me tell you something, they're missing the mark. They don't have a clue what peace is. The world has no idea how to obtain peace because they're looking for peace outside of Jesus Christ. Not one time on the page that I searched did I find Jesus mentioned. The world doesn't have a clue. And I tell you today that peace only comes at Calvary. Look at verse number 15. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in, make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Here we see this importance here in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ did a tre- tremendous work. When He died on the cross, He abolished in His flesh the enmity, is what we read here. What in the world is that? And so uh, my answer to that is, as I studied, it literally means the cause of ill will. 
Listen, God didn't, just, God didn't just destroy the ill will. He destroyed the cause of it. Can you, can you can just fathom that with me for a moment? That God went beyond the surface level. He went to the heart issue here. When He destroyed uh, the, the rule of law, He destroyed the cause of ill will. And in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, you're welcome to turn there with me. As, as, he, as Paul talks about this and he wrote to the church in Romans, he said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. Uh, we, we can have peace with God. Excuse me. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have peace with God. God. Because of Christ's sacrifice, He abolished the, in, in His flesh the enmity, what separated us from God. There was no longer that middle wall of partition. There was no longer anything that separates me as a Gentile from being able to enter the Holy of Holies in God's presence. That is peaceful. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Look, through the finished work of Christ on the cross, we can have peace with God today. This is not possible by the law. You know what the law revealed? In the Old Testament, as people read law after law after law after law, over 600 laws that they had to keep, they realized that if it was dependent upon their ability to keep the law, they could never do it. Only one was sufficient, and that was Jesus Christ. We talked about Him in Sunday school. Consider the law that Jesus Christ abolished. It was the ceremonial law. Look here in, in verse number 15. He says, even, He abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. He didn't abolish the moral law. He didn't say it's okay now to go out and kill whoever you want. So sometimes people ask, why do we still hold to the Ten Commandments but not to the other law? Right here is your answer. Because Christ abolished the uh, con commandments contained in ordinances. We don't have to hold to the ceremonial law. In the book of Hebrews, it shows us that Jesus Christ began a New Testament. He is the testator that, that established this New Testament. And by His death on the cross, we now have freedom. We now have peace with God. This law was destroyed when Christ laid down His life. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 14 reminds us that He took, uh, took all of our sins upon us. This is what it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Man, I don't know about you, but there's a long, there would have been a long list. But I'm grateful that Psalm 103 and verse number 12 reminds us that my sins are as far as the east is from the west. So far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Listen, I'm standing before you today telling you I am a sinful man. I'm a man who was born in sin. Thank you, Dad. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 5 reminds us that, that all of us are sinners. There's not one that is good enough to enter into the presence of God because we are born in sin. And so Jesus Christ, by His shed blood on the cross, He made a way for you to enter into the Holy of Holies today. He made a way to take you from that court of the Gentiles that's on the outside edge and He brings you into the very presence of God today. And let me encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're still on those outside edges looking in. And today God invites you and says, would you come to Jesus today? Would you come experience the fullness of life that only God can bring, that only a relationship with Jesus Christ can establish for you, and that is peace with God. I invite you today.
Well, how does, a, how does a person receive the peace, peace with God? And let me encourage you to look at Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. Turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to read a couple of those. And you say, we well, already know verse 8. Well, good. I'm proud of you. Let's read a few more too. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. We see that Christ reconciles us to God. But God commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I hear some of the kids quoting it. Good job, kiddos. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Man, no longer am I uh, damned, but instead I have been redeemed. And I tell you, that is an encouraging thing. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we're reminded first of God willfully chose to turn His love toward you. He willfully chose to say, I love you despite who you are. Because in my own, on my own, I'm not a lovely person. But because of Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God willfully chose this sacrifice. And now being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of Him. What is God's wrath? Revelation chapter 20 talks about this wrath. And he says, because of sin and what it earns us, God's wrath is an eternal punishment in hell. This is not a, and this is not a temporary thing. God, my people can pray you out. It does not work like that. Bible, the Bible doesn't say that at all. But instead it is an eternal punishment that never ends called the lake of fire. I urge you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, or maybe you've, you're hoping that you'll get there, that your good works will outweigh your bad works, maybe you'll say, well, I've never robbed anybody, I've never beat anybody up, I've never done anything bad, I've never killed anybody, so I should be in pretty good shape. The Bible says that uh, any sin condemns you to hell. And only by the, Je- the blood of Jesus Christ can you be saved. And so he says that you must come to Christ by faith. Verse number 10 says, For if we were... Uh, if, if we were... Excuse me. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Listen, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 10, we're reminded that Jesus Christ reconciled. He He bridged that gap. He brought us to the Lord. He brought us from the outside edges and into the Holy of Holies where we can come and commune with God. And Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15 reminds us that He being our high priest, He is the one that says, come, and we can boldly enter into the throne of grace. Today, today, I urge you to come enjoy peace with God. Enjoy peace with God that lasts for eternity, and it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. In a devotional book that I have, it said this, Since genuine peace is not dependent upon outward circumstances, it is possible to experience a tranquility beyond our comprehension. Even in the midst of life's most most tragic moments, this is real peace, not possible unless there exists absolutely no impediment between us and God. And the only way the barrier of sin and self can be removed is through the cross of Calvary, If we would simply bring our struggles and our needs to the foot of the cross, we would find an abundant source of peace. All today, I urge you, come. Come experience peace with God so that the peace of God can abide in your life. God calls you to Him. How do you you accept it? Jesus said this, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm grateful that he didn't say, I'm come that you might uh, have a little bit of life. 
but instead He called us that we might have an abundant life. And you find yourself struggling in life today. My question is, first off, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven? And secondly, if you know that you're on your way to heaven, my question for you today is, are you living in Christ today? The second thing we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is not just peace with, uh, through Christ, but peace through unity. And I love this because God takes a, a, a time in church history and a time in, in, in uh, the history of the world, really, and, and Jewish religion. And, and God tells us in verse number 14 that He broke down the middle wall of partition between us. He's talking about specifically between the Jew and the Gentile. He'd take, he take both of those two groups because at that time, for you to be a Jew, you looked down upon the Gentiles. They, weren't, they were almost subhuman because they weren't born into uh, that precious line called the Jewish family. And so as a Gentile, I would be looked down upon. I, I, I would be snubbed and snobbed and, and I wouldn't be allowed to enter into the, the most precious places to worship the real God and the true God. And so today we see that in verse number 16 that God reminds us that He abolished those things. Look at verse number, the end of verse 15. I'm going to pick up in the end of verse 15 and pick up and read 16. For to make in Himself of twain one new man. He's talking about these two groups, Jew and Gentile. He said, one new man so making peace that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. This is, this is the incredible thing that Christ did, is that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are a brand new creature. Second, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. I'm a brand new man in Christ. I was once a sinner, but I came. What? What happened? When, what happened when I put my faith in Jesus Christ? Is Jesus made me a brand new creature in Him. No longer the same. No longer that old sinner, but instead a brand new sinner saved by grace. I, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We talked about that in Sunday school today. But let me remind you that today that God says that when we have our faith in Him, we are brand new. Pastor mentioned this, I guess yesterday, as he was speaking to us out of Psalms chapter number 37. He talks about when we follow the Lord, He will give thee new desires, a new heart. That's part of that new man being born in us. And today, church, let me remind you that when we put our faith in Christ, we find that we are a brand new man or woman. We have brand new desires and brand new wants. And our faith in Christ as our Savior requires us to humble ourselves to Him. We are no longer in control of our desires. I'm no longer in control of my wants. I'm no longer in control of my own wishes. I am not the master of my own destiny, but instead God is in control. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 reminds us that He has bought us. We belong to Him. I'm grateful for that. Listen, real peace in our life. As Christians, you know, we want the peace of God in our life. Real peace only comes when we put our faith in Christ, and that comes at, the, at Calvary. And when we submit ourselves to Calvary, God can do a tremendous thing. Listen to Paul, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Did you hear that? He said, I've humbled myself. I've brought myself down. I've willingly died to self. Nevertheless, 
I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. When we see someone baptized, we often say we bury you in the likeness of Jesus' death and we're raised to walk in newness of life. What are we saying? Your old wants, your old, old desires, those things should be of the past so that you can live for Him. Today, let me encourage you. Let's live this crucified life. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17 Tremendous, tremendous reminder. And the work of and of the, excuse me, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. When we work the word that God has called us to, there's going to be peace in our heart and our life. It says, and it goes on. It says, in the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. When God's at work in our life, there is a, a sweet peace. Uh, thank you uh, for to the Rude family uh, who sang for us this morning. Uh, and the Rude is the name. Just want to clarify that. Wonderful peace. Isn't that good? We consider the peace of God that comes into our life and the peace that can come and is only becomes unity and peace. The peace of God only becomes the, uh, comes because the ground is level at the cross. Listen, that's what Paul is saying here. He says, look, there's not, no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no longer two groups. There's one's no longer subservient to the other. There's no longer saying that Jews are, are more valuable than the other. But instead, he is saying, now, because of what Jesus Christ has done, all men can come, all men are equal, and all men can have the opportunity to enter the Holy of Holies. All men are equal. God has reminded us in the New Testament, God is not a respecter of persons, but instead, all men have the opportunity to receive today. Christ abolishes that case of enmity. No longer do we have, no longer can we say, well, I'm holding odd against my brother because, or I'm, I'm doing this because. And we can't say those things because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He put away those things. And so as a church, we've got to be willing to say, you know what, despite what others may say, I'm going to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. It's no longer Jew and Gentile. It's no longer uh, him and her. It's no longer uh, this faction and this faction. It is now only what does God want and where is God leading and where will He take us next? I love this thought. You're no longer a second-class citizen. Because of Jesus Christ, because of what He's done, we are no longer second-class. We are just exactly what He wants. But the problem is that sometimes we allow sin into our church, into our lives. And this is what John MacArthur said. He said, Just as sin is the cause of all conflict and division, it is also the enemy of all peace and harmony. Built into wickedness is the impossibility of peace. Sin is basically selfishness. And selfishness is basically divisive and disruptive. James, the, uh, the brother of Jesus in James chapter 4 verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Did you know through the years churches have been filled with wars and fightings? You know, and we, we consider that and we think, where did that come from? This is what he says. Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, ye, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Listen, James is writing here and he says, Church, listen, we've got to stop the wars and the fightings. He says, Jesus Christ has called us to unity. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us the ground is level at the cross. We're at a place now in, in our church history specifically where we need to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Not, not into some man, not into some idea, not into some ideal, but into Jesus who is the ruler and the corner, chief cornerstone of this church. 
Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12. You know, nothing makes me sicker personally than when we infight. Like we forget who our enemy is. We see it amongst churches, in between churches, maybe working in the same town. I don't know if anybody heard United Baptist Church had their groundbreaking opening day service just a couple of weeks ago. And someone said, well, how dare they build a church right around the corner from us? I said, well, praise the Lord. I said, last I checked, they're on the winning side just like we are. Man, I rejoice with them. I'm excited for United Baptist, another lighthouse in this, in this area. God is gonna, I hope God continues to bless that church and continues to help them go forward just like we want to. And let me just encourage you today that we see who the real enemy is. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let's fight a good fight. Let's, let's do something different, though. Instead of fighting, let's love. John chapter 13 and verse number 34 and 35, I love Jesus' answer. So He came and abolished the ceremonial law. But in its place, he established something greater. He says, A new commandment I give unto you that you what? Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Do you remember, how many of you heard the song 1 John 4, 7 and 8 as a child? How many of our children know it today? Can you all help me sing it? Beloved, let us love one another. If you know it, sing it with me. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. I remember that as a kid. Man, when I was a child, my mom taught junior church, and I remember as a kid we get to sing that song together. And I'm reminded that today God didn't put it in there just so we could sing it as a child, but so we could practice it as stubborn adults. <laughs> Because that's what I are. When we've been made into a new man, we've been made brand new. That old man's passed away and I, my desires are no longer mine, but they're his. Our longings are no longer the selfish desires of a lost man, but they're desires that God gives through obedience to him. And as a result of, a result of the work of Christ, the transformation of the gospel on a life, we can experience peace in the walls of the church, in our homes, with our spouse, with our children. And we can experience what Philippians 4 talks about, the peace that passes all understanding. Today, you may have worries. You may have doubts. Someone, someone may worry. I, as a dad, I often worry, will my children turn out okay? God, am I, am I being a good dad? Am, am I going to be sufficient for them? And, you know, are they going to be all right? Will they learn to stand on their own two feet? Will they, will they do what's right when time comes? Sometimes maybe we worry, will my retirement be enough? Or how will we pay the bills? Or how can we walk by faith? This morning I urge you to set your worries aside and to look to Jesus. Pursue peace. This is what Psalms 34, 14 says. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. God calls us as a church, let's seek peace together. Let's seek after what Jesus Christ said. He said in John 14, 27, it's on our screen today, it's on your, in your bulletin. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
If you're struggling today, let me encourage you, seek peace. Christ has called you to Him. If you don't know the peace of God, let me encourage you, come experience Jesus Christ. There's nothing like Him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There's no way to access the glories of heaven without humbling yourself before the great Savior. And I urge you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you come to Him today? Here in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And during our invitation, we invite you, if you don't know Christ, to come. I'll stand right down here in the front. And when I'm standing down here, you just come on and talk to me and say, I want to, I want to get saved. And we can show you from the Bible how that you can be saved. How that you can know for sure that heaven is your home. We don't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell. But it is only because we willfully choose to rebel against Him that we'll go there. And so we invite you to come. Maybe today you seek peace. Would you come to the altar? Talk to the Lord about the peace you need in your life.